Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. We're here to do a book review tonight. And the book that we're talking about is... Um, I <laughs> totally forgot. I've, here's what happened. I was looking at the bio for the author, and I saw a different name of a book, and it totally threw me off. The name of the book is Never World Awake, and the author is Marisha, Marisha Pessel. Um, you may, uh, for longtime listeners, you may recognize the name Marisha Pessel because we uh, reviewed her book, Night Film, and I was going to go back and see when that was, and I didn't, but I would hazard a guess that it's somewhere in the hundreds, like in the episodes of, in the hundreds, it was a long time ago. I was totally depending on you to do the legwork on that. I remember <laughs> liking Night Film and thinking that um, the plot was fantastic, um, and I'm going to guess I probably gave it like four stars. In my mind, it, it rings four stars, but I, I don't know that for certain. But that being said, I was super excited um, <laughs> to do this book. I wasn't really that excited. Let me go back and talk about something that we <laughs> oh, talked no. about at the end of our last episode. I uh, Rob says, hey, I got this book. Did you get this book? I said, well, I don't know. I haven't been home yet. I'll check. He's like, well, if you got it, we'll do it. And I said, hey, I got it and we'll do it. And it sat on my dining room table for, I don't know, like a week. And the little like a two page thing they include, which is like the press release for it. It was like wrapped, you know, partway where half of it was in the book and half of it was sticking out over the cover. And one night I'm eating dinner and I look and I see that it says young adult novel. <laughs> and I thought, ah, oh, shit, I really don't want to do a young adult novel. I mean, I guess we recently did the Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew, <laughs> but I didn't. That wasn't the first thing that came to mind. The first thing that came to mind was that the last young adult book we did was what was are it? You, are you trotting out this joke again? I am trotting out this joke. It wasn't even a joke. That was actually what I thought. That's it, it, yes, maybe it's funny, but <laughs> the way it's, your it's mind works. Back during the bread, yeah. yeah, yeah. I forgot all about Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys. So and I was like, well, I guess it has been a while. So um, here we are. Um, we have a a author with a, for booked a proven track record of being able to create a great story. Yeah, and we have a new book, and this is probably the first. It's been a long time, man, since we reviewed a book before it gets released. Yeah. So let's get into it. I'm going to tell you a little bit about Marisha. Um, she is the author of The Night Film and Special Topics in Calamity Physics. Her best-selling debut, which was awarded the Center for Fiction's first novel prize and selected as one of the ten best books of the year by the New York Times Book Review. I don't know why I'm saying it in that weird cadence. <laughs> Just felt like changing it up a little bit. Uh, she lives with her husband and two children in New York City. Um, and then it gives her website information and social media, which I don't like that about an author bio. It's a little presumptive, presumptuous. You know what I'm saying? Like, if, I, you know, if I'm interested enough, I'm just – I can Google. Yeah, I uh, I agree. I don't – right. I, I guess – we used to do that, though. We'd be like, hey, tell people where they can find yeah. more about you, like, instead of just being able to Google them. But to be fair, yeah, when you're published by uh, by Random House, you, you probably have some some of your own official website stuff listed right. under your name, would be my guess. So. You get a blue check mark somewhere. Mm -hmm. Here is the synopsis. Once upon a time, back at Darrow Harker School, Beatrice Hartley and her five best friends were the cool kids, the beautiful ones. Then the shocking death of Jim, their creative genius, and Beatrice's boyfriend changed everything. One year after graduation, Beatrice is returning to Wincroft, the seaside estate where they spent so many nights sharing secrets, crushes, plans to change the world, hoping she'll get to the bottom of the dark questions gnawing at her about Jim's death. But as the night plays out in a haze of stilted 
Jokes and unfathomable silence, Beatrice senses she's never going to know what really happened. Then a mysterious man knocks on the door. Blithely, really blithely, blithely, he announces the impossible. Time for them has become stuck, snagged on a splinter that can only be removed if the former friends make the harshest of decisions. Now Beatrice has one last shot at answers and at life. And so begins the never world wake. Yeah, buddy. Uh, I didn't know how I was going to. So reading the synopsis, I did read the synopsis before I read the book this time. And I didn't know how I was going to feel about Groundhog Day for like basically like a teenage like murder mystery. Right. Yes. So I was a little bit hesitant, like approaching this book. It's definitely you, sorry. It's okay. You read the synopsis on the podcast, yeah, and yeah. I was totally doing so. I know what I was doing. I was registering a username on a million <laughs> websites. I know what I was doing while you're reading it, so I didn't hear a word that you said. <laughs> and uh, I, I again went into it completely blind as to what was going to happen in this book. I knew there was something about a dead boyfriend. That's all I had. But of course, that's like page three stuff. So mm-hmm. <laughs> pretty quickly. Yeah, this uh, the the synopsis is is state uh, is pretty true to the story. I'm going to elaborate a little bit. Uh, so these kids, five of them, and I'll, I'll run through the characters real quick. There's Kipling, who's from Louisiana, and he's kind of a kind of a fancy pants kind of guy. Uh, you got Whitley, who's your standard blonde mean girl. Cannon, who's the jock. Martha, who's kind of a nerd. And Beatrice, who's just kind of a plain Jane protagonist, right? I mean, there's really nothing special about her. She has some weird quirks, but she's not really defined by anything except everybody thinking she's super, super nice. Right. Um, As mentioned in the synopsis, Jim is the dead boyfriend. So um, Beatrice is coming home from uh, her first year of college, and she's invited to this, uh, this thing that they used to do is Whitley's family's like summer home. And they would go there and hang out while her parents or whoever it was, was out of the country. So she says she decides she's going to go because she wants to see if she can figure out what happened to Jim. Now, Jim has been dead for a year. And uh, the only thing we know about Jim is that he was found in a river near this kind of quarry that they all used to like sneak off to to like smoke pot and stuff. He was found like legs broken and 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 drowned, or in uh, in in the in the river. Um, they've never arrested a suspect, um, and and that's uh, essentially it, right? Yeah, well done. Um, I guess from the synopsis, you can kind of gather that the Darrow Harker School, and then like you know the kids um, who went there for the most part are, are kind of rich kids. Um, it was like a prep school kind of place that they went to. And so they got all this money and like, you know, the parents are all out of the picture for the most part, except for um, Beatrice. So I guess it, it bears mentioning that um, this book is from Beatrice's perspective almost the entire time, if not the entire time. Right. Um, now that you mention it, I think it's 100 percent. Yeah. So um, we're seeing we're seeing this story and all the different like elements of it through her perspective so i guess it would kind of make sense that our protagonist is like the girl who's like the good girl because who doesn't think that they're the good one right um and she's one of the people who isn't rich who uh attended school on like a scholarship kind of thing um her parents own a little like the most adorable little like cafe um in rhode like in the road like this all takes place in rhode island and 
it's like uh, along the coast in Rhode Island somewhere and she does all like like this work with her family in the restaurant when she's not at school and stuff and it's just this very like like white bread all american kind of story uh for Beatrice um with the tragedy sprinkled in there that her her boyfriend died under mysterious circumstances and and no one i mean they they call, like they call it a suicide just to kind of wrap it up but like um there's not really much of a closure to that um so she's going back to see all these friends who she hasn't talked to since the death of Jim, which happened at the end of the school year, I believe. Um, and so there's that night where they meet up, they go out to a concert. She's not super excited about the idea, but they'd already planned to go and they were getting ready to leave. And she kind of popped up. She hadn't really RSVP. She just kind of shows up and they're like, Oh, you're here. Well, you should go with us, you know, after a little bit of awkwardness. Um, and then they go to this, concert and get kind of drunk and stuff and in route from said concert on their way back to uh this kind of mansion place that they're hanging out at uh they have a real close encounter um with a truck that that uh they kind of swerve off the road and you know the boom we're, we're on to the next um day um but the next day is a little weird because a few of them wake up and they're in the car and wet from all the rain so as they're trying to kind of figure out what happened, that's when the keeper, bomb, 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 shows up. He's mentioned in the synopsis, and he tells them a, a weird little story that um, they were in a car accident and that they will be trapped um, in Neverworld until they can all vote unanimously on one person that should survive the car accident. So... I didn't know how I was going to feel about this. And I was a little bit on the fence about like the, the setup. It seemed uh, not contrived, but just a little bit like hinky. I don't know what the right word is. It just seemed a little bit kind of like goofy or whatever. Um, until the, uh, what, what happens because of that, like their reaction to like when they finally figure it out, Oh, we are kind of stuck in this loop of, of going, you know, through the same day over and over again. Um, and that reality sets in on them, like how they react, but then also what they decide to like kind of constructively do with their time. Um, I thought was pretty cool. And I don't know how far you want to go into it, Livius, but there's, and I, we, we might talk about some of this in spoiler talk, but like they, it's early enough in the book to say they figure out this guy, this keeper tells them that they're stuck in time and they'll stay stuck until they vote, like Livia said. Um, and and I I guess I'll I'll start by saying, and I don't think this is too spoilery, that they like their first reaction is to kind of cheat the system. Yeah, they uh, they decide they're not going to vote. And I think that all of us would do that. Like even when reality kind of proves itself to you, if it's a reality that you're not happy with, you're going to try and find like the the you're the way around it. And so they all kind of kind of break out onto their own to try and find a way to like get around being stuck in this ever never ending loop of the same day over and over again. And that was, that was a cool um, kind of like natural first step of adaptation. And it was cool to see like what, what they did and how they, how they thought they could get around stuff, you know, like, because like Livius was saying, there's the jock and the nerd and the blah, blah, blah. They all have different kind of reactions to what they should do. And, um, it felt, and that's where I started to feel like, all right, she's got her shit together. She, like the author 
Marisha Pessel got her shit together. She knows what she's doing. She's she's crafting an interesting narrative. It started out on kind of a hokey premise, but like once the characters started reacting to the reality that they were forced into, I feel like that's when it really started to gain steam. I wonder what the first live the same day over and over again story is. I may actually look into this because it comes up often enough, right? So you mentioned Groundhog Day. There was a TV show that um, I I was enjoying, I mean, probably 10 years ago. I think it was called Daybreak that had kind of the the same premise. And, and, you Mm. know, we've seen it numerous times. Yeah, Happy Um, Death Day. Yeah, Happy Death Day, which was awesome, Mm -hmm. by the way. I love that movie. Um, Yeah, this is maybe a cross between, like, Happy Death Day and Groundhog Day. I I don't know how you want to go with this. But what I will (laughs) say is I thought the same thing. I was like, oh, yeah. And then all of a sudden, I mean, I found it to be pretty horrifying. I mean, there are some times where Beatrice is talking about not knowing if she's tried to get this one thing done, you know, 10 times or 100 times, like just losing track of because she's given all of them are given unlimited attempts to to try and do something. So, um, for example, without giving too much away, at one point they want to get some information from a police station. And we probably go through 10 or 12 uh, very quick, like paragraph each instances of what happens during each one. But they try like a hundred times to achieve Mm -hmm. the goal. And, and that's really cool and can be very interesting for a book. Um, But it's really scary in some ways too to be just trapped in the same place over and over and over again. We didn't mention they have 11.2 hours. They have a very set um, amount of time. And when that happens, they're they're just essentially returned um, to the same, you know, to, to the same beginning back at the, whatever that house was called. So yeah, a lot of, a lot of um, very interesting um, things. And quite honestly, it gets even weirder than that. And I think any of that will probably save for spoiler talk, (laughs) but it does, it does. You think that's the weird part? No, no, it gets even weirder. I I, want to say this because it's probably the part that got me most excited. There was like an actual, like palpable moment in the book where they all kind of, defaulted back to to like being in the group after all these things they went through and like there was just this snap of a moment where they're like we have to solve jim's death and i was like fuck yeah (laughs) it was pretty early in the book like once they got there i was like "Ooh, i'm so excited to see where this goes yeah, and, and, and playing at the edges of that is who who is involved. Um, so, you know, I, I think you get a pretty good sense of they're not just going to find that some anonymous stranger killed Jim. Yeah. You know, you, you know, there's going to be some involvement on some level from from one or more of these people. And I think ultimately, I think it all plays out pretty well. I have, I have a few niggling issues with, with the story, but I, I think those we'll have to address in spoiler talk and I'll just take my stars um take my stars off for those but <laughs> I mean I thought it was it was written pretty elegantly and 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 just a really well told story I mean I, I was really um impressed I think by carrying yeah. out a feat um that it, you know if if you said hey how do we write this story about these kids live the same day over and over again I'd be like fuck man that's really difficult <laughs> like that would be my response to that but she carried <laughs> it off super well yeah, because it reads very smoothly and very quickly. I read this in one day and not in that, like, marathon Rob sits on the couch for 12 hours straight kind of day. It was it was 
I read a couple hours, I put it down for a little bit, did some stuff, came back to it, read for a couple hours, and was done. So it has a good pace to it. Um, and I, I guess this bears, because we don't do this a lot, and it's definitely in a different you know kind of category than um, like the Hardy Boys or Nancy Drew, but uh, it doesn't necessarily feel like it's just for young adults, if that makes sense. It makes total sense. I was a little, um, I don't know, angry is probably not the right word because I have no vested interest in how this book does. <laughs> I, I was a little disappointed in it being marketed as a young adult um, book um, for the reason that I, I don't think it needs to be. And, and again, not that I have anything against young adult books, but I think it sells itself short. I'm looking at the book itself right now. I guess it all depends on what your goal is. It could, because they're young kids who, you know, suffer a tragedy and, and grow because of what, you know, what, what the outcome of, of that is. Like, it could, it does have some kind of coming-of-age qualities to it and stuff like that. Um, but it's just a damn entertaining story that, you know, I, my, I could recommend to my mother. Um, but I was talking to, this brings up, I was talking to someone recently who's a teacher for high school or middle school uh it's high school high school i guess and that's like the target audience of young adult books right would it be high school or would it be I, younger I, I i i guess no i would imagine like okay so this book is definitely for i mean 14 and up i would think right. i mean there's some drug stuff in it and i'm not saying that 14 year olds should be reading drug stuff but but i think for some of the stuff that goes on just for someone to understand it probably yeah. you know 13 14 and up yeah and and so like I was talking to this teacher and I was they they they're very well versed in, in young adult books and I obviously wasn't <laughs> and so they were you know we we're talking about the type of books I read for podcasts and they were telling me the type of books they recommend and I was like what types of topics like what does a young adult book sound like and they're like the topics that they that they approach are are pretty comprehensively like very heavy stuff like you know suicide and you know peer pressure and you know all these types of things um like i don't know like prejudices and biases and things like so like really heavy topics that, so all the stuff that adult books cover right right but in a probably a much more pointed mm -hmm. right, kind of yeah. like with much more like obvious purpose and so this <laughs> compared to some of the things that he was explaining to me that i don't remember all of feels a little bit light <laughs> Uh, in, in its subject matter, even yeah. though it does have death and stuff, it's more of mm -hmm. like it's a little more mystical and it's a little more ethereal and and and, and maybe that's what makes it a young adult book. I'm not sure. I guess my uh, my concern, and again with no vested interest, if you if I would have saw this um, sitting on I don't know the table at Barnes and Noble, and it would have been under a sign that said young adult, I probably wouldn't have given it a second look. Yeah. So I know that the young adult market is uh, thriving um, and has been for years, and that's caused a lot of people, even people we know, to kind of try to jump into the young adult um, you know, pool of books. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I just – and again, not sliding anybody who writes young adult stuff. I just feel like this sells itself short. I, you know, as a 45-year-old dude, like I really enjoyed this book, and I wouldn't have picked it up under a young adult banner. So. Yeah. Well, I mean – we're definitely not. We're not young adults. No, no, we're we, far from. We're not we're far, young, nor adults. Correct. Yes, far from both of those. So, um, <laughs> I think uh, we should probably jump over to spoiler talk. What do you think? Sounds good. So, um, if you are a Patreon contributor, 
you know where to go. Actually, this brings up something that I have to I have to issue an apology for. I got a I got a text message from Adam and Oshkosh whose legs don't work. Um, the other day, yesterday, um, is the apology for you continuing to call him that? No, I mean his until his legs start to work. Um, <laughs> we're gonna continue. That's his. For anybody who's a new listener, he chose that. Um, and we have a long history of being like very rude to each other. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> till a miracle happens, he's Adam and Oshkosh whose legs don't work. Um, there's got to be other Adams in Oshkosh too. So uh, we're rec- we're recording on Memorial Day, Monday the twenty eighth, Memorial Day, because um, we always record on holidays. And uh, I think it was yesterday. Adam texted me and he said, um, I don't see the Polynix spoiler talk on Patreon. And I was like, did we do spoiler talk for Polynix? Oh, we did. Yeah. So apparently I never, uh, I never posted that. So, um, major apologies, um, for, for missing out on that. I'm sure it was just me being stupid. That will be up by the time you're listening to this. Um, and, you will also be hearing spoiler talk for this book in a timely fashion. We did put up the spoiler talks for Miss Subways in a timely fashion as as well. So this was a one-time mistake, so apologies for that. But if you're a Patreon contributor, head on over and hear us talk spoilers about this book. If you're not, for just a dollar a month, you can get those spoilers, and you can go back and you can hear what, you know, will be timely for you. Um, Adjustment Day spoilers and all the others as well. And with that, we'll be back shortly. All right, we're back from spoiler talk, and um, I feel like we had a really good conversation over there. I didn't think it'd take that long, but we got into some really serious stuff about the book. So if you're a Patreon contributor, please make sure you check that out. Um, Either A, if you've already read the book, or B, if you don't mind having it spoiled. If you're not, I would recommend dollar a month. Um, Check it out. It was a really good conversation. Do you want to start the the wrap-ups, my friend? I would just like to say that if everybody listening donated just $1 a month, <laughs> we would have several more dollars per month. <laughs> yeah. At least I don't know. I could... <laughs> I, so I watched I watch an infomercial where they're asking for money and they said something like that. And I'm assuming it works. So there you go. Oh, we'll see. We'll keep an eye on the numbers. Um, I am going to uh, go first with my wrap up. Please. Uh, I, as I mentioned earlier, was a little uh, skeptical about a book that's being toted as a young adult novel. Um, that being said, um, Ms. Mrs. Mrs. She's married. Mrs. Pessel uh, managed to weave together a world that was really, um, really entertaining and enjoyable and even downright scary at times. Like as you get into your own head and start thinking about what it would be like to live, you know, a thousand you know, the one day over and over a thousand times or a hundred thousand times or whatever these kids wind up doing in this book. Um, the, the plot was, uh, was good. The characters, uh, were, you know, intricately woven together as a, as part of a group. And although I had some minor issues with some stuff that happens towards the end, um, it's still super enjoyable and in a book that will likely stay um, with me for a while. I'll be honest too, having, Five characters lived the same day over and over again, especially in kind of, I don't want to say desolation, but they were kind of middle of nowhere. I was really worried that it was going to get boring fast. 
Um, and at no part, not once did I think this book is boring. Like I looked forward to picking it up and reading for another half hour when I had time. So, um, kudos, um, to Marisha Pessel for that. Overall, I thought it was super enjoyable. Definitely. You'll still enjoy this, even if you are a full fledged, an old adult, because there's young adults, right? Even if you're an old adult like us, um, I, I totally think you would enjoy this book. I'm going to give it four and a half stars. Nice. I was worried. I was worried about this one until I actually until I read it, and then I was like, "Oh, he's gonna, he's gonna rate this well." So, um, yeah, I, I believe back when we did night film, we um, we we appreciated that one and we gave it a good rating, like Livia said before. And um, so we got off to a good start. I was a little bit nervous about, like I said, the whole like Groundhog's Day meets like I know what you did last summer, um, but it she she fucking did it in such a great way she did and like in spoiler talk we kind of explore some of like the details that i thought really kind of tied things together well but she made the the moves and the turns in the story that kept you engaged and if something seemed like it was set up to disappoint you now there was a twist later that made it so worthwhile she did such a great job of crafting a story that like um that addressed all the different things that were set up and it, and it had a great pace to it. The characters were very good. And I mean, I I can't really think of anything that was really even a negative. When you, when I look back at the book as a whole, I enjoyed every damn thing about it. And so I'm stepping up just a little over Livius and I'm going five stars on this. All right. Please don't start flooding us with your young adult novels. I believe that this might be, (laughs) (laughs) this might be a, um, uh, this is uh, an anom- anomaly. Anomaly, yes. So uh, I watched a couple of those movies. Uh, you know, I didn't watch Hunger Games. Um, There's another one that came out after Hunger Games that had that same kind of futuristic, oh, you get divided up into groups kind of thing. Uh, it's just fucking divergent, terrible. Divergent? The Divergent? Yeah, yeah. yeah, it was just terrible. See, and that's what I was expecting. Not that, because I knew it wasn't like a super futuristic thing, but I expected to have the same, you know, disdain for uh for this as i did for that and it didn't happen so i'm pleasantly surprised i will definitely say i think marisha pestle is a now pre-approved um review author right like if she comes out with something else i think we're all over it yeah i was thinking about um what other authors would i you know um like that i think similarly of and and i was thinking specifically because we probably under underrepresent female authors but like the ones that we enjoy we fucking stay loyal to like if you throw Megan Abbott in front of me, I'm reading that book. If you throw um, Lauren Bukes, right? She wrote Shining mm-hmm. Girls. Like yep. I, you throw that in front of me, I'm reading that book. And I think oh, Morgan Stern. Well, Aaron Morgan Aaron Stern. Morgan Stern yep. If she ever comes out with another mm-hmm. book, yeah, like so. And Marisha Pestle is now definitely in that category as well, unless it's like like a like a children's like picture book or something. <laughs> Probably read that, but just not for the podcast. on your own. Yeah, I, I I may go back and track down that first book of hers. I was thinking about that. Yeah. Maybe the next break we have from reading calamity, whatever. Yeah. Hey, speaking of women's and stuff, women's um, and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I have um, mentioned this to you before, and now I'm going to make a very, very, very strong recommendation Uh-oh. that you figure out a way to see Killing Eve, the BBC America show. Um. <laughs> You, I don't remember you making a, a case about this, so maybe you weren't persuasive enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Please continue. 
Oh, okay. Or so I, I, um, was that it? <laughs> it? No, it just wrapped up season one. I thought you were going to say someone else, or maybe you were already watching it or something. Season oh, one no, wrapped no. up no. Um, the night before we're recording this, and then I got to watch it on the uh, on the DVR earlier today. I don't rem- I don't want to say anything. Like I want you to go into it like I did. All I'm going to say is that it has. Um, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna put put my foot out on 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 something. I don't know on 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 a limb. I don't know what you do. You're going we're, we're out on a limb. You're gonna stick I'm your gonna neck out. I'm gonna go out on a limb, and I'm going to say that a character in this TV series might be the best character I've seen on TV in I don't know. We'll say ten years. Wow. I am super blown away by um, one of the characters in Killing Eve. So, uh, recap: ten episodes on BBC America. Um, second season forthcoming. Apparently, I because uh, I, I, I I know I mentioned this on the podcast before. I refuse to look something up about a TV show that I'm into until like <laughs> after the season's over. Apparently, a second season was greenlit before the first season even aired. Nice. Um, it's getting tremendous. Um, reviews and ratings and I, I, I think you should get on the bandwagon now and the same for you listeners don't don't be that person that like seven months from now is posting like oh I'm watching Killing Eve and it has the best character ever and when nobody cares anymore watch it now so <laughs> figure out a way to see that <laughs> oh that's way funnier than it's not as funny it is funnier than I made no it's less funny than I made it whatever yeah, I, um, you know, I will about. say this too I'm going to give you a second recommendation and I don't know how well this is going to go, but I just started um, this today, holiday weekend, man, or last night, I guess. Um, Counterpart, which is a Stars original. Um, picture a show that's, um, I don't know, I'm trying to think of what to how, how to how to explain this. Fringe without all the science. That's interesting. The premise for counterpart which you learn um you know very early on and, and there are hints at it in the first like five minutes of the first episode is that um at some point 30 years ago scientists did something and they essentially split off our existence into two separate paths so mm-hmm. um just like fringe there are people on both sides of that and for 30 years the people who know about it you know, them, they have been keeping it from everybody. And we follow a fairly low ranking, um, a, a guy who doesn't know what's going on, but works for them, um, gets dragged into like a, a big ado between the two, you know, earths, the two dimensions or, or whatever. Hmm. So there's nothing. Um, it's not super sciencey. It's not whatever. Like this thing happened and now everything's normal, except that the, the two dimensions diverged and like what's important to them so people on this side um have counterparts on the other side but they may be into a different career into different things or per their personality has changed you know due to things that have happened to them since then um five episodes in really really enjoying it all right two shows that unless you've mentioned them to me before i had not otherwise heard of yeah the counterpart thing Honestly, came up because something popped up in my newsfeed that said shows like Killing Eve and Counterpart, blah mm-hmm. blah blah, and I was like, I love Killing Eve. I got to check out this Counterpart show, and and so far I'm I'm happy I did. Um, if we can use IMDb as a legitimate source for reviews, eight point seven for Killing Eve, and nice. I believe in the nines for Counterpart, if big. I remember correctly. Well, that's what I'm saying. That's that does most shows don't garner that type of reaction from people. Oh, I'm sorry, eight point two for Counterpart. 
So both in the in the mid eights. That's really good. I mean, I feel like if you're somewhere in the sevens, that's probably a good thing. I have found that most of my favorite shows were like 7.3. Like that was yeah. just a number that kept coming up when I look up a show <laughs> I really enjoy. So these are better than shows I like. Um, do you have any other recommendations for shows? No. I So I've been in that kind of blinders phase right now because like we're halfway through Westworld. So nothing else in the world matters to me for TV shows at the moment. Um, are you watching Westworld at all? I have not started it, so yeah. I did watch all of season one. Gotcha. Um, and I have them; I have them all ready to go. I just haven't haven't started. Well, they're. I think they just aired the sixth of ten episodes, so um, about a month left before it's all wrapped up. And it's just, man, it's just so saucy every goddamn week. Um, a lot of stuff going on. I am excited um, for. So we're recording this Memorial Day, and tomorrow the new season of Arrested Development drops. And then the day after, the new season of The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt drops. And so, like, I am useless for the next two days. Um, That uh, is nice, though. I mean, the advantage to that, and that's one of the things I've started doing is, even with Westworld, like, I don't want to watch it every week. Just want to binge? So, Yeah, what I'll probably do is wait until there's, like, eight of them, watch them, and then watch the last two independently, like, a week apart. So Now... One thing, so this past weekend, I did a lot of watching of of comedy shows on Netflix, and I, I don't know, did we talk about this recently? Like, I feel like I had a conversation with someone. I don't remember if it was on the podcast or if it was somewhere else. I don't believe so. Comedy specials, Netflix is like single handedly like bringing about like a like a renaissance of stand up comedy, and I don't know how much you care about stand up comedy, but they uh, a couple years back did like a two-part Dave Chappelle thing. I think it was either late 2016 or sometime in 2017, right? You heard about that. Mm-hmm. And then recently did another two-part Dave Chappelle thing. So there's like four Netflix specials that you can watch. They're like each an hour long. But they're just, they drop tons of stuff. Like Norm MacDonald had, a, had a, a special that was pretty damn great. Chris Rock had a special that was really entertaining. Um, Ricky Gervais, I don't know if you care about him, the office guy. I know who he is. I've never seen him do um, stand-up. I, I tried watching the British Office, and it just it wasn't for me. Well, he's not like that in this. <laughs> he's not like that in this special. And this is the first time I've watched his stand-up. I'm sure he's done stand-up in the past, but this is the first time I've watched it. And fuck, man, that was so entertaining. Um, so like, I'm just like, I'm so impressed with with what um, Netflix is coming out with. And then um, recently, John Mulaney, who was a writer for Saturday Night Live had a, had, a, had a special that dropped recently, and I watched that, and I was really charmed with it. And then I saw I, they... I tried to watch that one. Really? It was a little weird. Yeah, I was on Netflix, and it popped up as a like a new or trending or, or whatever. Yeah. And it was like super late one night, and I put it on, and I kept like, <laughs> this is really weird. I kept like waking up to it, and and kept <laughs> thinking that like he wasn't making any sense. He's like super exaggerated about things, and he sounds like he's like from the forties, right? Like he has that kind of yeah, like a over the top like announcer voice almost. Yeah, and I, I couldn't like I, I think I wound up having dreams about him just saying really <laughs> weird shit. I could see how that would be weird. Yeah. So, um, uh, but I, I meant to like go back and see if it's as weird as I think it is, which I'm sure it's not. Um, but I'm glad that you mentioned that because I was like, why does that sound familiar? I was like, oh yeah, that's right. It was like two in the morning one night, and I put that on. Um, 
Yeah, so I liked that, and I saw that there was two other specials, older ones. So he, this one was to 2018, obviously. There's one from 2015 and one from 2012, so I watched both of those. Um, love those. So I'm just like, fucking, man, Netflix is just killing it. And then, obviously, there's a bunch. There's probably, like, 30 times more stand-up comedy that I just know I'm going to hate, so I just avoid it. <laughs> but, like, there's this little pocket of awesome. And then I noticed... Last week, Eddie Murphy's Delirious <laughs> is on Netflix. Did you yeah. did you see that? So I um, now that you mention it, I watched that right before I put on that Mulvaney thing. <laughs> okay, and I've got it. To, did you turn it on? Yeah, did, I did. You, did you, yeah, yeah. Okay, that wouldn't have got the first ten minutes of that enough is is enough today to get him like kicked off of netflix oh like God. how netflix is playing it yeah in in, in today's uh, climate is beyond me that that's what made me turn it on because mm-hmm. i remembered like en- enough to know you know what i was in for and yeah. especially so like just like uh, I, I was describing it at work the other day and i can't remember exactly what i said but like the kind of casual like easy bigotry <laughs> that was going on like nothing that was it was like that like how your grandma is racist you know it had that kind of quality to it mm-hmm. but like and i was like well i'm just gonna see how this plays for me now versus how i probably reacted to it you know closer to when it was released and so i played it did you get all the way through it um i, I believe i did uh, i got, don't remember i got five minutes in and, like, the first joke, he gets out on stage and he does all that, like, oh, everybody sit down, whatever. Faggot is in, like... <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, like, probably the fourth word that comes out of his mouth. And I was like, holy shit. And then, like, it's not like he said it for shock value. It was just the word that you use. And and I'm just like, I can't believe... Like, I couldn't believe that Netflix brought it up. It's good that Netflix brought it up because, like, um, you have to understand that it is a product of, of its time. Sure. But like the climate and the and the way that civilization works now just doesn't have the what's the word I'm looking for? Just doesn't have the like the fortitude to handle like the weird shit. And then like obviously we've come a long way and everything, but that was just so it was just so crazy to watch. It's so funny that you and I had the exact same thought because I, I mean, I took it a step further and the same thing. My, my thought, you know, you said that's important, you know, for people to understand that was the time I was thinking, like, I wonder how many people in that audience or people that remember thinking it was funny. Now, when it came out, I remember I was like a teenager, right? Yeah. I, I, yeah. I was a kid. Um, and I remember thinking like, oh, that's the funniest thing ever. And, you know, I can't let my mom know I'm listening to this, right? Because I'll get right. in some kind of trouble for for listening to this kind of filthy stuff. But I think it's important for people to remember that they laughed at that shit then, because you know we we start to to judge history based on today's standards for for especially for small things like that. I mean that's you know it's like Madison Square Garden I think right for like fifteen thousand yeah. people yeah, laughing was, yeah. their asses off at all of those jokes, and even if they make you uncomfortable today, um you know it's, it's we we talked about this uh, the Dean Koontz book I remember this came up. And, and, you know, and, and the, the debate about, you know, this is the 50s and 60s. This is how people were and that was socially acceptable. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not saying it's right, but I'm saying it was a different time. And that's kind of what I was thinking about that is, 
I'd like to get a list of those people in the audience and see what their views are today and then play the show back for them and be like, you're one of these motherfuckers that yeah. was laughing their asses <laughs> off at the same shit 30 yep. years ago or whenever that came up. And it would be interesting. I don't, I don't really think that I would want to be volunteer, but like it would be interesting to kind of like parse through the actual jokes and like like think about what like the real statement is versus just like the words that were used because like and, and think if, if like to and I'm getting very academic about this but like to contrast like comedy of today versus like what his comedy meant in that time because they're probably not very different it's just like obviously different words are used for very obvious reasons Right, no, I, I see what you're saying because I have also watched a, a few comedy specials, like two or three, over the last few months, and maybe more that I don't remember because honestly, I didn't remember watching Delirious until you said it. So it's the same thing with that <laughs> okay. other guy I fell asleep during. But I know I watched um, one of the Joe. I've been listening to Joe Rogan podcast quite yeah. a bit, so I watched one of his stand-up specials that's on Netflix. Um, and you're right; I think the content might not be all that different. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think the approach. Um, the approach is is certainly is certainly different. So, is yeah, it was just so, like, and 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 it's it came packaged inside this whole like, I had seen a handful of these like comedy specials that I was really enjoying, and I just fucking saw Delirious, and I was like, oh god, I'm gonna have to check this out, and then I I saw more of these these new ones that I was enjoying, so it was like right sandwiched in the middle was this like cultural anomaly that just stood out so much like in the current day. And it was just an interesting contrast, but like, I wouldn't say that anything content wise was more or less offensive between one and the other. It's just, it's an interesting thing to think about. Mm -hmm. You know, I watched them. Um, you said Chappelle had those two. I guess I watched last year's two Chappelle ones, but mm -hmm. probably, probably around the time they came out, it's been a while, mm -hmm. but I remember him kind of detailing all these problems he had. Um, over over some jokes he told about being at a party with a transsexual. Yeah, and the transgender stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and and he and 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 he just went for it again. Like I mean, he went full out in this and and, and yeah. probably told the joke over and maybe I don't know funnier than it was the first. I, I don't know if it was more offensive or, or whatever. So I don't I don't know. I guess it depends. Maybe the climate isn't as bad as we think. Maybe we just very secretly watch Dave Chappelle and laugh at that stuff at home. Um, but don't do that in public. So the transgender thing is interesting because a very similar thing happens in that Ricky Gervais episode, uh, uh, special that I mentioned where he talks about a joke that he made, um, about Caitlyn Jenner. Mm -hmm. And, um, what, what was, uh, anyway, I, I can't remember what it was, but like he made a joke and he took a lot of shit for it. Um, and he basically, made a routine around explaining <laughs> himself, but again, doubling down on, because there's this whole, like, there, there's a responsibility that you have to have as, as, you know, whatever kind of entertainer you are. We talked about this with like people, you know, thinking that we talk shit about women or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. Like you have to, you have to be true to your craft. Um, and he, when he told the joke, wasn't making a joke to you know, demean transgender people. It was uh, an entirely different joke about, like, I guess um, back in the day, was it Bruce Jenner? It, it right? was Bruce Jenner. Yep. Okay. Bruce Jenner, there was a car accident or something like that. And it was a joke about the car accident. It wasn't anything about being transgender, but it incorporated the fact that there was a 
a transition. I don't, I don't remember exactly the joke, but like he basically breaks the joke down and, and kind of in a way defended himself in a, in a fucking hilarious way. So, um, I'm, I'm seeing that now as people are getting this like kind of moral backlash for, for the stuff that they're saying. And if you, if you back down, you're kind of compromising your, your integrity a little bit, but like, so they're almost like telling people, Hey, you have to be a responsible person when you're listening to something and actually try to understand what they're saying. So I thought that was a really cool element to that. I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. Yeah. Outrage culture, man. Outrage culture. Like I said, it's, it's uh, a lot of people would laugh at that stuff at home, but then would decry it publicly if asked, which uh, is calling out some hypocrisy. I, I honestly think so. Like I hmm. said, you, you look at the Eddie Murphy stuff we talked about. You look at Dave Chappelle, arguably, you know, one of the, what the top five comedians even now after I get like a 10 year hiatus or something. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and the things he says, not cool. If you if you really break it down, like you wouldn't want to publicly um, <laughs> applaud a lot of the things Chappelle says. But God damn it. Those two specials I watched, they were pretty fucking funny. Yeah, he's really funny. So, well, I mean, um, if you again. think if you think back to 20 minutes ago where I was calling Adam from Oshkosh whose legs don't work and you're like, do you have to say that? And I'm like, until yeah, his legs yeah, start exactly. working again. Yep. Well, and that's the thing with comedians is that um, I, I think that the craft of comedy requires um, being witty and clever and not, you know, and, and sacrificing maybe political correctness for it. If sure. somebody got up and um in a different forum that wasn't a comedy show and just gave a statement regarding Caitlyn Jenner or whatever, if it was the transgender issue that, um, that Chappelle mentioned or, or whatever, or even Eddie Murphy, even 30 years ago, if he would have gotten on the news and had a conference and said, I don't like it when gay men look at my rear end, it would have been taken a little differently. I think, right. Yeah. You'd have been like, wow, that guy's a homophobe. Right. But when he says it really <laughs> funny, he's just yeah. a funny guy. It's a funny thing, so I don't know. Um, Context. Another comedian, Mike Birbiglia. I don't know if you're familiar with him. I, that one I've, I have not heard of. He, uh, and I, apparently this is just, this this discussion is the absolute thing that I hate the most about comedians, is comedians talking about comedy. But since I'm not a comedian, I can talk about this. Uh, uh, um, Mike Birbiglia, in, a, in one of his... Um, stand-up specials was talking about how um, pe like people getting offended by jokes and everything, and like his it, kind of like the soft point that he was making was like jokes always have to be offensive because they're about someone, right? And so yeah, like essentially, so like <laughs> so he made the he made the he made a joke about like having a nut allergy, and then afterwards he was talking about how like you know. 95% of the people in the room thought that was hilarious and the other five were like that's my life and and so <laughs> so his point is like someone's going to get offended by basically everything but as a as a comedian it's your job to make those observations to make those jokes and stuff like that so um stick to your guns guys like as long as as long as you know you believe in what you're saying i say stick to your guns I don't want to. I don't want to bring up. <laughs> this is probably the wrong time to do this, but 
you know, the whole when I was growing up, Eddie Murphy was a was a big deal, right? And um, want to listen to stuff because it was dirty and you felt like you were getting away with something. I I always loved Dice Clay. Who Fuck again? It, I knew you were going to shoehorn Andrew Dice Clay into this. No, somehow. no, no. And that's not. I just wanted to mention it was another <laughs> one that was super offensive. But I think back to like Bill Cosby. Yeah, Bill Cosby was a one hundred percent from what I remember clean comedian. Yep. Who just made fun of like family stuff and job stuff and was not necessarily offensive to, I don't want to say to anybody, he might be offensive to somebody who parents their kids a certain way or whatever, but it was non-racial, non-sexual, um, non-religious um, comedy. highbrow, yeah. Yeah. Clean who, comedy. Who the fuck is doing that? I mean, he made an entire career and an ultra successful career from doing that. And I mean, there are no shows like The Cosby Show now, which was also a clean show that was family and funny and and whatever. And, and, uh, you know, his personal life aside, um, there had to be a certain brilliance in being able to do that when the rest of us are are laughing at dick and fart jokes. Sure. And then he raped a bunch of people. And then he raped a bunch of people. Like a lot. Allegedly. So well, I mean, yep. he's convicted for at least you? like three of them. So, all right, yeah, okay. So I'm I'm going with yeah. that whole like where all there's right. smoke, there's fire kind of logic. All I'm so. saying is that one person that I know of was able to do it in a way that nobody was offended, yeah. and everybody else has to be offensive in order to be funny. Sure, sure. Weird. We probably talked more about comedy than we did to talk about uh, the Marisha Pestle book, which is. Kind of weird, but it's a little weird. All right. There have it. Next thing you guys are going to see slash hear from us if you're available on Saturday, June the second at uh, roughly eight p.m. Central Standard Time. Um, we'll be on Facebook live with a holiday episode. Now you might be thinking to yourself, are they really late for Memorial Day? Nope, it's not Memorial Day. Nope. Thinking, huh, are they really early for Father's Day? Nope, not doing Father's Day. Livius won't let me do a Father's Day episode. No, because God damn it! Every time I hear you talk about your dad, man, yeah, it's super good. grim. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, nobody wants to hear that. Nobody. No <laughs> but nobody wants to listen to that. Uh, uh, yeah. I will listen if you call me privately. I will be happy to listen. That being said, um, we have a holiday that maybe a lot of people aren't aware of that we're going to. Um, I don't want to say celebrate because I don't think it's celebration, but we are going to have a holiday episode. We will be joined by our permanent co-hosts for holiday episodes, Jesse and Misty. It'll be available live on Facebook. We are we have tested some software, so we hope that that's going to work out well when it's time to actually go live. Um, and then if you're not on Facebook, then, I don't know, like a week from now or something, you'll probably get the audio version of that. Probably you will get the audio version of it a few days after the Facebook Live event goes up. So you'll still be able to hear it here, um, but you won't be able to see... Um, you know, my face is my face when it completely goes off the rails, my head and my hands, you know, the stuff I do during um, holiday <laughs> episodes, if you're just listening. When we start explaining like the distillation process of vodka. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, uh, try and tune in for that. Links will be available on the book podcast, uh, page and in the book podcast listening group and probably on Twitter. Cause I think it cross posts a Twitter whenever we do that. So cool. yeah. any of those ways you'll be able to get. Um, the link or whatever, the time, I don't know. We'll put some stuff up maybe. <laughs> Following that episode is if all goes according to plan, because there are more than just the usual number of schedules involved should be our review. Hopefully of, uh, the president is missing, which is a co-authored book by James Patterson and former president Bill Clinton. And if all goes according to plan, um, fellow, 
I guess, co co Patterson co-author Rob Hart uh, will be joining us to talk about that book. All right. So until uh, next time, I'm Livia Snudden. And I'm Rob Olson. Keep reading.